0: So, how's everybody doing? Good? <clears throat> I, um, oh, I've got too far over there. I, um, really been, um, really been sensing God's presence really strong as of late. I mean, I think, I think I, I think what you feel God's presence like regularly, right? But every now and then God just seems to be doing something, seems to be doing something bigger, different with you, with, um, with maybe those around you or something like that. And it's, and it's one of those things for me where I feel like God's speaking to me. I feel like he's doing some stuff, turning some stuff over in my life. And I like that, <clears throat> except that it's not, always, um, it's not always easy, right? When God starts working on things in your life, starts showing you stuff, telling you stuff. You know, some of what God does is... Um, is just lift us up, edify, strengthen us. Um, and that's important, but he also convicts us and, and really tries to draw us in close to him, really tries to, to get to the base of who we are and try to, try to make sure that we're following him the way that we need to be following him. Uh, that we're, there's always going to be a, a challenge there, and a tension there, because we're human beings, and we don't do really good at following uh, God, much less following anybody else. But we don't, we don't follow God, we don't submit easily. It's not a normal human nature thing. I mean, human nature is always resisting and pushing against that. But, but uh, that's, where, that's where the amazingness to me, you know, the, the scripture that says, it's the kindness of the Lord that leads me to repentance. That's what amazes me is when God is just nice to me. <clears throat> when I treat him horrible sometimes. When I'm, when, I'm, when I'm too busy trying to be me rather than imitating him. And he's, and he's so patient. He's so full of grace. And um, it's just—it's just overwhelming to me. So, so letter eleven, screw tape letters. Um, how many of you have, have still not like got a copy of this or downloaded it or are you going to admit that to us? You still don't, Daniel. You still don't. I work a lot. Just download the book. Somewhat. Yeah, just just get the book, Dan. You can listen to it while you're driving. So, letter 11. <clears throat> Again, um, you know, a, a couple of times, not, not necessarily in number 11 here, but in, uh, in chapter 13, which we're, we're going to hopefully get to tonight. <laughs> so... Um, there is this, you have to remind yourself, you are listening to Wormwood, a, um, a, um, a, 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 a screw tape, a, a demon talking to Wormwood, who is a demon, about the patient, which is a people, soul of the individual. Wormwood, much wiser, older demon, I guess you could say wiser, I don't know how to, to frame that there. And, uh, and he's trying to help screw tape, because screw tape gets caught up in stuff and does things. Um, he's, he's not as good at this at worm, as Wormwood is. And remember, the enemy is Jesus in this book. Because the demons are trying to convince um, this guy, is the patient, to not serve Jesus. And, and the, but the, the round of that is confusing to me sometimes. I'm reading along and I'm like, oh yeah, that's, that's solid. And, and then I have to remember when he says the enemy, he's talking about Jesus, not talking about Satan. Because Satan is the father in this book. Right? So, first paragraph. <clears throat> Now remember, um, uh, Wormwood has been hanging out with some people that are, um, they're fake, they're uh, selfish, they're self-focused, they're partiers, they're all this other stuff. And Screwtape's been hanging out, I mean, the the patient's been hanging out with these people and Screwtape is trying to foster those relationships so that the patient will... um, will stay in that in those relationships and stay right there. Right. Um, And so. uh, He says uh, in the first opening line, everything is going um, clearly going very well, I'm especially glad to hear that the two new friends have now made him acquainted with their whole set. In other words, brought him into the whole group. They're all hanging out together now, right? All these, as I find from the record record office, are thoroughly reliable people. Now remember, this is the demon saying this. They're thoroughly thoroughly reliable people for what? For not good. Not for good. That means reliable is not the same way. It would be the opposite of what we would say for reliable, right? They are steady, consistent scoffers and worldlings who without any particular uh, spectacular crimes are progressing quietly and comfortably Toward our Father's house, without any spectacular crimes, they are slowly, lazily, sliding to hell. That's that's a powerful sentence that C.S. Lewis gives us there, as an estimation of the church, as a process of how we we think and. And I've, call, I've been calling this for years and years i've been calling what we have in American Christianity is, is lazy boy christianity um, and now since since the uh, the pandemic the we it's worse because before my mentality of lazy boy was mentality of church was you come to church every now and then but you're not really committed you're not really focused you're not really all in you just you kind of come to church some and you're not you're not really about seeking God and loving God and, and praying and, and really get in the, the word and rightly dividing God's word for you and, and processing it. It's, it's a lazy boy Christianity. We come to church a little bit and, um, and then we kind of go home and we, we, we get in our lazy boys and we don't do anything. We're not ministering to our neighbors. We're not praying for our community. We're not doing anything to, to win our co uh, coworkers to Jesus. We're not you know, we're not going and visiting people that we know that need help or going through some things. or we're just, We just kind of do our own thing. Now, since the, this crazy government pandemic thing, we, now we literally are sitting in our lazy boys often. And it becomes more and more comfortable to sit at home and not go to church. Right? I mean, our church has not experienced that really all that much. But everywhere I, I go, I hear pastors talking about that. They're, you know, they're, at, they're at 40% or 45% of what they used to be. and, and um, Now, part of my argument is, well, maybe you shouldn't have shut down. <laughs> maybe, maybe you shot yourself in the foot a little bit here and you, and you hindered your own people. But even with that, there is a, there's a mindset that is, that we're just kind of, what, what's the point, you know? Why do we, do we really need Go to church? Is that really a big deal? I mean, that's 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 becoming the mindset. Um, uh, Any anything in the in the first two or three paragraphs that uh, has jumped out at somebody you want to bring out? Yes, sir. So he he talks here about the different kinds of laughter. And he says, you know, the different kinds of laughter are joy, fun, the joke proper, and flippancy. And I'll point about this joy that he talks about joy and among friends and things. And then he says, what the real cause is, we don't know. You don't really understand joy.
1: And, uh, and of course, we know that real joy comes from Christ.
0: Yeah, and he relates it also to music. And he says, we don't understand this whole music thing either. Yes. Right? Right? Um, I mean, I've talked about this a lot over the, the years, but, but uh, those things are very existential. You can't put your hand on those things. Music, there's something about music that carries you. It can, it can, make, it can change the way you think and feel. Um, it's, it's a spiritual thing. God created music, and it can carry you places. It can do things. Um, same thing with love. God created love. Satan didn't create love. That, that's why Satan hates love so much and tries to pervert it and distort it. That's why he tries to hurt relationships and, and, and twist this thing called love into something horrible. Um, in today's society, love is almost predominantly uh, a sexual context. And it's sad because that's a, that's a small part of it. That's a, that's a small part of the intimacy. Sexuality really isn't even the love side. It's, it's the beginning of, it's a part of Intimacy. Intimacy is a part of love. Love is a very big overarching thing. And intimacy is a part of that. And sexuality is a part of that. And all these other things. And then also another person. Do you realize that love exists whether or not you're connecting with another person? Because God is love. And Satan, Satan hates all this stuff. He can't stand this idea. So he wants to twist it and, and hurt people. And, and, um, and get them caught up in trying to to connect with intimacy through sexuality without going through God and his plan of love and commitment to him and to each other so then it perverts it and you really never get there i've talked to to couples that have been married 25 30 years and they have no idea how to truly love each other They, they know how how to have sex but they don't know how to love each other they don't know the connection that comes from God that leads to intimacy, that then, because of the, the connection and the intimacy of two individuals, um, ev- uh, evolves into sexuality. And we just, we just go straight to sex, and we don't get the rest of this. And then, and then we start dating, but we're, we're having sex, we don't get the rest of that. Then we get married, we're having sex, but we don't get the rest of that. And sometimes couples never get to the, the love. And the, and the true intimacy and all these other things. And so when he's talking about joy, joy, Satan doesn't know what joy is. He can twist and pervert happiness. Again, happiness is relative and it's very temporal. We can be happy one second, sad the next day. Joy doesn't change. Joy is something that is solid and consistent and eternal. Internal and eternal. That comes from the Holy Spirit. Same way peace is. Peace is something that comes from the Holy Spirit. Right? Anything else? Okay, toward the uh, end, the second to the last paragraph. <clears throat> um, the... the, the starts with cruelty. Cruelty is shameful. Unless the cruel man can represent it as a practical joke. You ever, ever seen that happen? You're just being mean to somebody, but you, just, you say, well, I'm just joking. It's a practical joke. But you're just really being mean. Seen that happen? I've, I've experienced that to me, and I've also done that. In fact, I, I think you guys are picking up on some of the nuances of who I am. I'm a... I'm a I'm a very multi-layered person. Actually, I'm not. I'm like two layers. I wouldn't make a good onion. I would make a good banana. But that's about it. But th- this is the thing is, I, uh, most, of what I, most of the way I deal with stuff in life is humor. I deal with tragic things with humor. I uh, deal with... Um, you, can, you can even ask my wife. Don't ask for details. But uh, the... My funniest, guys, you, you have no idea how funny I am during romance. I am off the charts, hilarious, um, during romance. Everything in my life I deal with with humor. It's a defense mechanism, but also I'm just really, really funny. So put those both together and that's what happens. But did you know, and here, this is a revelation maybe for some of you, did you know that not everything um, warrants humor? <laughs> Lynn and I have discussed this over the years. <laughs> we have discussed this over the years. Because uh, specifically, uh, here's the thing. I, the, I, I don't try to do this. It's, I, I just get caught up and it's already happening. And I don't realize it's happening until it's too late. But the, the angrier she gets, the more funny I get. I am hilarious. <laughs> because I, I, because I can't help it. I'm, I'm, I'm serious. I'm not, I'm not joking about it. I can't. I can't help it. That's how I'm. That's how I deal with with when pressure and tension happens. Everything becomes funny to me. And uh, and so I start singing, and it's and it's not healthy sometimes. Doesn't help your marriage sometimes. Doesn't. It's always okay when you're preaching, but it doesn't help your marriage sometimes. He says in the next sentence, a thousand body or even blasphemous jokes do not help toward a man's damnation so much as his discovery that almost anything he wants to do can be done, not only without the disapproval but with the admiration of his fellows if only it could get itself treated as a joke. You can do almost anything if you, if you just turn it into some kind of joke. But that usually means it's at somebody else's expense, right? Right? Down the the last paragraph right before the end, if prolonged, the habit of flippancy builds up around a man the finest armor-plating against the enemy that I know. Remember, against Jesus. Jesus is the enemy. Flippancy builds up an armor against Jesus. And it is quite free from the dangers inherent in the other sources of laughter. Flippancy. Taking, making things casual and flippant. And he's specifically talking about spiritual things and religious things and things of God. Just, just make it flippant and like you're, you're above it. Like whatever it is, ah, whatever. That kind of mentality. Just Whatever. I am so much better, or smarter, or whatever. And uh, well, if you know, if you like religion, just whatever. If you if you if you like that whole Jesus thing, just whatever. Right. And what happens is this flippancy, this flippant mentality. You can build up a, a, a barrier, a resistance. I, I, the sermon I preached a couple months ago. A um, you build up a callousness. Uh, and you inoculate yourself against. Real the truth of Jesus because you have just enough of the gospel to build up an immunity. You build up a resistance and so you see it coming and you'll resist it. You can resist it uh, because you have just enough church and just enough religion to make you feel good about yourself but it's not really life-changing and transformative. And, and that's, I believe that is the strongest thing the church is struggling with right now is we're not, really, we're not really about Jesus. We're about kind of the things of Jesus, the stuff of Jesus, kind of the language of Jesus, the songs of Jesus, uh, the gathering of Jesus' people. And we, do, and we say all these things, we do all this stuff, but at the end of the day, are we really on our face before God in a repentant mentality, humbling ourselves, turning from our wicked ways, praying, seeking His face, getting before Him? Are we, is that really who we are? Or are we, you know, we're going to church, and you know, I got a new worship song I want you to listen to, or something like that. You know the difference. We can get caught up so much in church that we, that we and we can be flippant about it to the point where there's no really, we, we actually can resist the conviction and the transformation of the Holy Spirit. And we become comfortable there. Right? Anything else in this letter? Okay, we're going to the next one. We are on fire. Um, So, letter 12, what is the, what kind of the idea, what's going on in letter 12? Russell.
1: When I read this letter, it reminded me of the Laodicean church uh, trying to stay lukewarm. Uh-huh, screw tapes, trying to keep him leak warm, not get passionate about one thing or the other. It's okay to little, have a little white lie or a little white sin and, yeah. and just lull to sleep.
0: Don't, don't get too passionate. Don't get too um, broken and needy. Either one will potentially push you toward God. Just stay right in the middle. You're comfortable. Now again, guys, doesn't that, doesn't that basically describe not just the American church, but America in general? We are so comfortable in America. I know I pick on some of these things sometimes, but we talk about stuff like abject poverty in America. We don't have abject poverty. There are definitely poor people in America and people that do without. But until you've gone to countries where there really is poverty, I mean complete destructive poverty, you can actually believe that what we have in America (coughs) is poverty. But... <clears throat> when we go downtown and we take food to the homeless people and we sometimes bus them to church and stuff like that they have sometimes two or three cell phones <clears throat> how, how impoverished is that do you understand what I'm saying um, <clears throat> this is something that when, when, when we first take like we, we take people uh, downtown sometimes and do this and every now and then we'll have some people go with this, some of you guys that are newer to this. You haven't done this before. And you get down there and you start talking to, to these guys and girls down there, and they have checks coming in every month. Like unemployment checks and sometimes retirements from military and, and um, <clears throat> disabled checks from the military and stuff like that. Quite a bit of money sometimes. And we call that Poverty. And then you go to countries where there really is poverty. Because every time, every time we go to India, it, it always it catches me off guard what real, real poverty looks like. Extreme poverty looks like. Where people are making literally a dollar or two dollars a month. And they're glad for that. <clears throat> and you just want to help everybody. But you can't. It's, it's, it's discouraging. And so then what happens? Guess what happens when you get into that context? Your heart begins to be stirred. And you begin to say, I can do more than I am doing. I can accomplish more. I can pray more. I can give more. I can go more. There, you begin to be stirred. And this is what he's talking about in this letter, is don't let them get to that place. The demons are saying, do not let your patient get to the point where they, where they see or feel or, or, or something one side or the other, not too passionate, not too broken. Don't let them see the, the horribleness of humanity at the base because it'll stir them. Don't let them see the greatness or experience great things because it'll change them. First paragraph, bottom of it. He must not be allowed to suspect that he is now, however slowly, heading right away from the sun on a line which will carry him into the cold and dark of utmost space. I have been there before. I know what it is to slowly be working your way, uh, your way away from God, but you think you're okay. You feel all right about you. Cause you're still doing all the stuff, right? And but but you're not. You're, you know, I'll, I'll give you something that may 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 make you think about this a little bit here. <clears throat> Do you know what C.S. Lewis's um, theological foundation was? Do you know what he was denominationally? What's that? What's that? Yes, it's, a kind of, it's kind of a mix between Church of England and Presbyterian. It's what we would call Presbyterian in America, but it's not what they would... I, I, think, I think he would say that, but it's not theologically the same. But, guys, it's a much more uh, leaning toward Calvinism than it is Wesleyanism. And it is interesting to me that constantly through this book, he is teaching and preaching stuff that is the exact opposite of Calvinism which I, I like because I don't believe in Calvinism. But it's amazing that from his stance and his point of view, that he was, he was constantly preaching and teaching. I mean, the whole book is about how Satan is trying to drag Christian, a Christian guy away from God, and then he succeeds in doing it. Well, that's, that's the opposite of Calvinism. Calvinism says once you got saved, you're saved no matter what you do or say or whatever. Wesleyanism, or Arminianism, we're, we're not really Wesleyan, we're Arminianist. Um, says that, that the condition of your salvation is your heart. That your heart determines whether you're saved or not. Not a prayer that you prayed, not a card in a church office somewhere, not a membership, but your heart. Do you love Jesus with everything about you? Well, then you're a Christian, whether you're getting everything right or not. You're a Christian. Do you do you love something more than you love Jesus? Then you're not a Christian. You're a whatever that is, right? Christian means I follow Christ. Christ follower. Well, are you following Christ? Well, then you're a Christian. If you're following something else, you're a that follower, right? You're a moneyish Christian. Moneyish. You know what I'm saying. Because that's, that's what you're following. That's what you love. Are your relationships is what you're following you love. Because that's what you are. But if you're following and you love Jesus, then you're a Christian. And that's... He's teaching and preaching this through this whole book. Very strongly. Next paragraph. He says, As long as he retains externally the habits of a Christian, he can still be made to think of himself as one... Who has adopted a few new friends in amusement, but whose spiritual state is much the same as it was six weeks ago? <clears throat> you ever been there? Catch yourself. You know, you got your new friends, you got things going on, but but you you you're a Christian, right? I've had many people over the years say this. They'll they'll come say to me, um, "Will you pray for my husband or wife? Will you pray for my kids? Will you pray?" Because they're they're doing this and they're doing this and they're doing this, and it's like all this you know, they're addicted, they're this, they're living with somebody doing, but you know, they're a Christian. They're just struggling right now. That always catches me off guard. They're they're sleeping around with all kinds of people, you know, but they're a Christian. They're just going through a bad time. Really? Are those compatible? Are those the same thing? This, this is what he's saying is, as long as he retains the external habits or the look of being a Christian or, or everybody around him thinks that within everything's good, just don't let him examine his soul. Because that's where, that's where he'll be found wanting. Is when he examines himself. And we, we work hard in American Christianity to keep every thing in our Christian walk free of true um, introspection, true self-examination. R- remember what I say when it comes, to, there's a difference between praise and worship. And usually the way people define praise and worship, praise is fast songs, worship is slow songs. No, it's <laughs> not what it is. Praise is, is uh, more about exalting God and worship is more about C- communing with God, connecting with God. Okay, any time in Scripture where somebody comes into the real presence of God, whether a little bit a- abstract, like like in Isaiah, he doesn't see God; he sees what's called the afterglow of God, or he sees the trail of of his um, um of his um garment or whatever. That's not the right word, but he sees the after. God's already passed and he sees that. The glory of God as God's already passed. Anytime somebody comes into the presence of God in Scripture, what do they do? They always repent and they always fall on their face. Always fall on their face and begin to repent. Repent. And we have convinced ourselves in the church that if we're dancing with our hands up, we're really in the presence of God. And I'm not saying we're not. I think that is presence of God. But that is, that's a few layers from true worship. That's more of a praise mentality. That's more of a, I'm, I'm um, glorifying God, exalting God, but I'm not communing with Him. When I begin to connect and commune, I will begin to repent quickly. You say, well, what if I don't feel like repenting? Then you're not communing. You're not connecting if you don't feel like repenting. Because He is is so glorified and so holy and so majestic. And When you step into His presence, you will immediately recognize your sin. You will immediately recognize the limitedness and and the brokenness of your humanness. And you want to get that right with God. You want to change that. God, I, something's not good here. I need to make it right with you. That's communing. That's connection. And that's what true worship is. Truly in the presence of God. And he's saying, if you can keep him from that, let it everything be external. Let it be the stuff he's doing. Not true soul relationship and, and pursuit of God, but but just connecting a little bit. You know, just like I'm doing some church stuff. I'm doing some church friends thing right okay <clears throat> the next next page next couple paragraphs he, it's, he says he will want his prayers to be unreal for he will dread nothing so much as effective contact with the enemy his aim will be to let sleeping worms lie I've never heard that I've heard sleeping dogs but whatever British what are you going to do but but that's have you ever felt that when you know that you're wrong, you know that you're not good with God, and the idea of praying becomes um, difficult, becomes something that you just kind of shy away from, because you know the moment you begin to talk to God, you got to do some things. Right. I remember years ago, Linda and I were having an argument, and. Um, it's only like one of two or three that we've had, so it stands out with me. Um, but I, I was arguing with her, and, and um, she was giving her side, I was giving my side. And, and down deep, I knew I was wrong. But I'm, I'm not going to admit that. I mean, who does that? Especially in an argument, right? You don't. I mean, has anybody ever in the middle of an argument... I'm not saying when you're actually communicating, discussing... But in the middle of the argument, of a real argument, have you ever just stopped and go, you know what? You've given some valid points. I would like to retract everything that I've said. Right? We don't do that. I got mad at her. And I'm uh, like, I'm just, I'm just going to leave. I'm just going to go drive around or do something. I'm going to go somewhere where she's not. So I walked out the back door and stopped on the back deck because as soon as I closed the door... It's like God just hit me with a a wall and said, so you're just going to walk away? Knowing you're wrong, knowing your attitude is wrong, you're just going to walk away? I did not want to talk to God about this. I wanted to say, God, mind your own business. (laughs) But there's a theological problem with that. I am his business. Linda is his business. Everything between us is his business. But I didn't want to talk to God right then. Because I knew what he was going to say. And that's why we shy away from God really trying to speak to us or change us or do something. Because we know what he's going to say. We know when there's issues or unforgiveness or something. And we, we need God to, to... If we listen to God, he's going to say, okay, you need to change this. You need to do this or whatever the case is. All right? All <clears> right. <throat> Um, next paragraph a little farther, it says, you no longer, this is where he's trying to keep him distracted from, from um, over any direction, over temptation, over happiness, over sin, over joy. That, you know, he just wants to keep him lukewarm right in the middle, right? He says, you no longer need a good book, which he really likes, to keep him from his prayers or his work or his sleep. A column of advertisements in yesterday's paper will do. You can make him waste his time not only in conversations he enjoys with people whom he likes, but in conversations with those he cares nothing about on subjects that bore him. You can make him do nothing at all for long periods. Do we have any context in our society today that looks like that? Social media. Have you ever caught yourself um, just like scrolling through YouTube or something like that? And then like four hours later, you you come to your senses and realize you have been watching cat videos for the last hour and a half. Nothing productive. You've been watching. I I, I caught myself the other night. I'm laying in bed. I always read for a couple hours in bed. And and, uh, for some reason, something popped up, so I, I... Clicked on, I think, it was, I think it was YouTube. It might be Facebook, but I don't really go to Facebook much, but it's probably YouTube. And, and like an hour later, I'm sitting there watching videos of people just falling down. Like 30 minutes of people falling down. And it was almost like I couldn't stop doing it. You can't stop. Because the next one is probably going to be the best one, guys. Right? This is what he's talking about. He said he, the, the demons are saying, usually used to be you could you'd have to give you'd have to get him enthralled in a good book to really keep him from reading the Bible and, and seeking God. But if you do that long enough, eventually he'll just read the obituaries in the newspaper. Right? We're doing the exact same thing. It's obviously not a paper newspaper. But, but it's the same thing. Next paragraph, he says, all the healthy and outgoing activities which we want him to avoid can be inhibited and nothing given in return. So that at last he may say, as one of my own patients said on his arrival down here, which means, when did he say it? When he got to hell. He says, I now see that I spent most of my life in doing, listen, listen to this, in doing Neither what I ought, nor what I liked. In other words, I wasted time. I wasted my life. I just wasted it. I, I, I think I've mentioned this before, but <clears throat> Anthony, um, Anthony and Mary used to be our children's pastors, and they're in New England now. And He came in one day, and, and he, had, he was an electrician. Mary was a children's pastor. He was an electrician. And he had been doing some electrical work for, at an apartment complex, and he had to go into this guy's apartment and go through and do something. He said he knocked on the door, and he just heard somebody say something. He didn't know for sure what they said. He thinks it was come in, so he came in. And he said, and this guy's just sitting in the floor. The, house, the apartment's a wreck. Food, all the place, clothes, all kinds of stuff. And he's just sitting there smoking a joint. And he just sat and looked at the guy, and he said, I got to go. And the guy's like, whatever. He goes to the other stuff, and he comes back. And the guy hasn't even moved. And he, and he looks at the guy, and, and, he, and he said, I just stood there for a minute just staring at the guy, waiting for him to engage me, to talk, to do something. He didn't. He just sat there and just stared at me smoking his pot. And he got back to the church later, and Anthony reeked of pot. <laughs> but, um, but he told me, he said, he said, you get one life. You get one shot at this thing called life, and that's how you want to use it? That's how you want to spend it? That's what you want to do with it? I, I, I don't understand that kind of thinking. I don't understand just just going through the motions of life and just wasting it. God has given you a life and He's given you things about you that are unique to you. He's giving you gifts and abilities, and giving you personality and, and and traits of personality that connect and are attractive to people. All this, other, and we waste our lives. Not, not obviously, I'm generalizing, but we could be doing stuff. We could be ministering. We could be praying. We could be doing something. We doing something. I, I I was talking to Zach before, and we were talking about the bike ride. And I mentioned, I mentioned. Um, Forrest, one of our missionaries, a Youth Alive and Missionary. And, and Forrest had never, he had never ridden bicycles like when he was junior high until like May of this year. And then he rides with us on this 500-mile bike ride a couple weeks ago. And we were talking about it. And I just watched Forrest the whole time, especially the first couple of days. I knew he was dying. I knew it was, I knew it was taking everything from him. But here's the deal. Here's why Forrest not only rode the 500 miles but by day 3 4 5 he was at the front of the pack and and finishing uh before everybody else on the 500 mile ride because before he went out to do this he decided he was going to do it and it didn't the distance wasn't going to change that the weather wasn't going to change that and many of the people that had done this for years told us i mean this was our first year but many people that have done this for the last 10 years said this is probably the most difficult year because of the temperature. It was over 100. And, but I watched Forrest every, every time, every single leg, 20-mile, 20 25-mile legs, depending on what it was, every leg he just pushed a little harder, a little stronger. Not because necessarily, though he did, he's, he's a strong person too physically, but because he had decided this is what I'm going to do. My kids asked me, Both of my boys asked me, my my daughter just kept saying, I'm proud of you, daddy-o, I'm proud of you. But my boys are like, Dad, what is wrong with you? This doesn't sound fun. Why are you doing this? Now, they know me, so they're harassing me, but they know me. Part of the reason that I rode that, it wasn't to raise the money and all this stuff. That was going to happen because that's what the point of the ride was, but it's because I'm, I'm 51. That's why. And I want to be able to do it when I'm 61 and when I'm 71 because I could have have done something else that week and I would have been fatter and lazier, right? Isn't there there certain moments in life when you're just like, no, I'm going to do this, whatever it is, I'm not necessarily saying it's physical. But I'm going to do this. It was the same way when I, went, when I went back to school for education. I didn't know if I could do it, but I said, I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to do this. And there's nothing that's going to stop it. And I believe, guys, any one of us in this room, almost anything we tackle, we can accomplish if we'll just say, I'm going to do this. No matter what, I'm going to do this. That's why things like temptation and stuff like that, sin, things it's it's a cop out so, you know the mentality of the devil made me do it no he didn't you chose somewhere along the line you chose you could have chose something else well rather than not sin sometimes all we choose is to just be well i'm not sinning so i'm okay but but i'm just choosing to be instead of be something Instead of be amazing, instead of be great, instead of pursue what God has for you and pursue God and get on your face before Him and get the Bible open and begin to show yourself approved by God for wisdom and understanding and knowledge. Push yourself. Why? Why not? It's not why. There's not a why there. There's a why not. I have people all the time ask me, because I work with the university and some of this stuff. I have people that will ask me, should I go back and, and, um, and get a degree or get more education or do something? And, and, and I, you know, I always question why do you want to do it what's your plans or whatever. But my answer is always the same for every person, regardless of all the information they tell me. Unless there is a legitimate reason why you cannot do it, then you should do it. It's not going to hurt you. If you can't financially afford it, I get that. Don't do it. But if you can afford it, if you got, got, you say, well, I don't know if I have enough time. If you're saying, I don't know if I have enough time, you do have enough time. You, you, we all have enough time, money, energy, for anything that we want to do, but you're going to have to work at it. And, and this, he's, the demons are scared to death that this person is going to wake up one day and go, wait a second. Once that happens... Greatness can begin to sprout, right? He says, you no longer need a good book, which he really likes to keep him from his prayers or his work or his sleep. A column of advertisements or papers will do. And then farther down the next paragraph, he says, so that at last he may say, as one of my own patients has said, 'I, I spent most of my life doing neither what I ought nor what I liked. Next major paragraph, beginning of it. You will say that these are very small sins. And doubtless, like all young tempters, young demons that are trying to tempt, you are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness, right? Send a report into hell that says, I got my, um, I got my patient to murder ten people, right? But do remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy, that's really, on a spiritual level, God's side is that you pursue him. That's all that matters. All the other stuff is details. All this stuff is logistics. To, to Satan, all that matters is that you keep him from God. doesn't matter how. With, with overt sin, blatant sin, or just laziness, just selfishness. <clears throat> do, but do remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy. It does not matter how small the sins are provided that, they, that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. Isn't that what Scripture says? The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Just a slow slip into hell. Just a slow slide. As, as uh, my wife always says, um, uh, what is the term? When it, when it leads to slippery slope, slippery slope. Specifically when our kids were, our boys were not married and they're dating. We'd always tell them slippery slope. Slippery slope. We were talking about this the other night at the board meeting. With, uh, when my, my kids were in their 1920s and, um, and some friends, some good Christian friends of theirs, girls were over at the house and my daughter was there and one of her friends and they're all sitting downstairs in the basement watching a movie. We went down there and all the lights are off and they're all covered up in blankets watching a movie. I don't care how old they are. That's not okay. We don't let, you may let that happen in your house and you're going to have a pregnant kid if you keep that up right how how do you know you're like oh no no how do you know that look in the mirror when you were that age that's all you got to do we went down there they're like 20 years old went down there started flipping lights on grabbing blankets pulling off them said okay guys we don't do this you know this We, we don't act like this we don't do this you keep the lights on keep your hands in the air praising the lord the whole time you're watching tv Right? Um, Linda dated a guy, I think while we were at college, right before I got there or something with her. Or something. But uh, they go on a date, he put a Bible between them. And then, then you find out, you can crawl over that Bible, right? Unless that Bible is made out of hot, molten lava. <laughs> right? Guys, you have to make decisions. You have to choose to, because you can just slowly slip, and slip, and slip, and slip pretty soon you're not you're not passionate about God you're not serving you're not committed you don't care there's other priorities anything else about letter 12 nothing nothing well of course the last sentence, the last sentence. I cannot hear you Michael no.
1: No. No. indeed The safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without
0: milestones, without signposts. Very powerful theology and all of that. Yeah, very powerful. That's the kind of stuff you should print out. You know, we always print out these nice uh, scriptures that make us feel good, right? I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Great scripture, very important. Why don't we ever print stuff like this out? Right? Why don't we ever print out a Genesis 5? Um, Satan is always crouching at your door. Right? Print that out and put it like flowers in the corners and stuff like that. Yeah, put it on your door. Stencil it on the wall of your house. Satan is crouching at your door. Because those aren't fun, right? But they're true. And they're real. Okay. I'm going to get you a stencil for the house. Now. Slippery slope. Slippery slope. My, um, one of my favorite scriptures, it literally is one of my favorite scriptures, because when people are asking, hey, tell me your favorite scripture, and everybody goes around the room and tells them favorite scripture, this is always the scripture that I use. Esau was a hairy man. <laughs> and then you just go. Right? Okay. Try that next time in your small group. <laughs> Everybody be like, hmm. Letter 13. End of the first paragraph. Um, okay, what is, what is letter 13 about? Something massive happens here. The patient starts to repent. He's sliding farther and farther away and he begins to repent. And and, and screw tape is very angry at Wormwood. Right? He says, a repentance and a renewal of what the other side call grace on the scale which you describe is a defeat of the first order. It amounts to a second conversion and probably on a deeper level than the first. Again, Calvinism be gone. <laughs> that's, that's not Calvinism right there. But he said it amounts to a second conversion and probably a deeper level than the first. I, I went through that as a, as a beginning teenager, 12, 13 years old. I got so far away from God. I was doing all kinds of stuff, illegal stuff. Um, I got arrested, all kinds of things that were going on. And um, so I'll, I brought that up before. Somebody said, you ever been arrested? Yes. When did you get arrested? When I was 12. That catches some people off guard like, what? Um, what would you get arrested for? I was stealing. What were you stealing? Cigarettes. <laughs> so, there's nothing good about the story. There's nothing positive. I wasn't stealing to give to the poor, anything like that. But um, I, was, I was trying to get as far from God as I could get. And I, and I truly was, but I did not realize... It wasn't God that I really wanted to get away from. I thought it was, it wasn't God. Years later, when I came back to him, I realized the reason I came back to him is because I realized his love and I realized his grace and his forgiveness. And I realized he had a plan for me and I realized that he's amazingly big and he wants to do amazingly big stuff with me. But I couldn't see that as a 12, 13 year old. And and so for several years there, I pushed against God. Really what I was doing, I was pushing against the church. I was pushing against a lot of the junk and the stupidity and stuff that I saw in the church, the hypocriticalness and legalism and fakeness and all this other kind of stuff. And I just couldn't do it anymore. And I mentioned before also music was a big deal for me. Back in those days, there was one type of music. Well, there was two types, really. Um, country, gospel, and southern gospel. That was In the church, that was the only options. And it wasn't my favorite. All the earth was Everything else was satanic. Yeah. Yeah, I I um I remember when Petra first came out. I had a ticket to go see Petra in 1979. No, 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 it was later. It was 19 um it was 1981. I had a picture a uh, a ticket to go see Petra and I got arrested and I had to I had to pay a fine. My dad worked that out with the judge. Um and I had to pay a fine and I had to sell my Petra ticket, $8. It was a very expensive ticket to go to a concert. And I sold my Petra ticket to pay off the ticket. Because really, my parents didn't understand the validity of, of Christian rock. They thought it was just bad, and they were just kind of letting me go, right? But if I was a parent now, to me then, I would have said, no, you're going to the concert. I'm going to go with you, and I'm going to sit with you during the concert. Because years, I went to many Petra concerts over the years, and every single time, hundreds of people got saved at them. I might have got saved. Right? And that was another reason I was getting away from God, or the church, is because of music. There was no expression of music back in those days in the church. Most churches. Some of there were. There was all this stuff, and I was pushing... Except when I finally came back to the Lord, it was, it was a, a profound conversion for me. It was over days, sitting in a dorm room, seeking God, praying, crying, just, just pleading with God to change me, and to, do, to be who He wanted to be in my life, all this other stuff. And you know, interestingly, during that time, during those few days that it was happening, about a week-long time frame, Every evening I would get before God and I'd just break and I'd just lay there and, and cry and pray and cry and pray and do that for hours. And I'd get up and go to class the next day. Sometimes, sometimes I didn't go to class. But I, this is the interesting thing that happened. Music was one of the major things that pushed me away. And when I gave my heart back to the Lord, I sat there. These were cassettes. CDs were just coming out. Right? Right? They were brand new, brand new technology. They'd been out maybe two or three years. And, um, and I sat there, and I broke up hundreds of cassettes of all kinds of rock. Not Christian rock, but rock. And, and I'd go down and bust them all up and pull them all out. I'm crying. I'm crying partly because God's changing me and partly because this is hundreds of dollars worth of tapes. And I'd go down and put them in the trash. And I've had people ask me before, well, that means you've got to get rid of all your music if you become a Christian? Nobody told me that. But I just knew I'd been playing this music um, with with people and playing along, and I knew what the words were. I knew what it was about. I couldn't have it in my life. The same way I said this the other day about some of the music nowadays. I love, I love some of the music. I, I think one of the most amazing bands musically and vocally is Maroon 5. But they're one of the most perverted groups there is out there. Everything they sing about is perversion. Very perverted sexual stuff. So I can't listen to it. Which irritates me. Because I want to call them up and say, Look, if you just clean it up, I'll listen. Now you say, well, does that mean you'll go to hell if you listen to that? I'm not making this statement for anybody else. But I know for me, I can't talk to God out of my mouth and then sing that stuff out of my mouth. I can't let the holy spirit move into my spirit because there's there's crap in there i can't do that they're not compatible right and 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 i there's there's a the juxtaposition doesn't work i have to let god be god over everything including my mind and my spirit and what i'm what i'm thinking and what i'm hearing and i can't hear that stuff Here's the thing. Here's a a test for you. you, I know know I'm picking right now. But whatever you're listening to, can you sing that to God? Try that. Because remember, this this is a strong statement. I heard this probably 20 years ago and it stuck with me. We sing our anthems. I sing my anthem. In other words, I sing what defines me. So can you sing it? Can you sing it to God? This is one of the things I see movie actors that'll play in movies and they'll say, no, I can't let my kids watch these movies. There's too much sex and cussing and stuff like that. So it's not okay for your nine-year-old, but it's okay for you? Is your spirit... Is your spirit... Um, is your spirit uh, Safe from all of that? It's protected? You're saying your nine-year-old's spirit is not, but yours is? Right? Okay. I'll back off. <clears throat> Next paragraph. The characteristic of pains and pleasures is that they are unmistakably real, and therefore, as far as they go, give the man who feels them a touchstone of reality. Um, this the patient had such a good day he was walking and um and, and then he had a, a, a very good positive pleasurable moment out in nature and it brought his attention to god I, I i've said this many times but there's something about being up in the mountains to me that i just feel like god's right there with me i mean i like i like being in a church building too with other christians but if we could, wouldn't it be better, wouldn't it be cooler if we could, like, have church in the Garden of the Gods every Sunday? Right? And this is one of the reasons I like mountain biking so much, Is because there's something about going, you're out on a trail, and, you're, and, you, and there may be other people with you, but you're really kind of by yourself, and you're going up and down a trail or whatever the case is and it's just the mountains and there'll be animals around and many times I've come around a corner on a mountain bike trail and there's a deer or an elk or a mountain goat or a um, bighorn sheep. That stuff happens all the time. It scares me and them both. But there's something about that where you just see God. Okay. Um, next paragraph, first of it. Of course, I know the enemy, Jesus, also wants to detach men from themselves, but in a different way. Remember always that he really likes the little vermin and sets an absurd value on the distinctness of every one of them. You're the little vermin, right? You understand that, according to uh, Screwtape. And he's, he's irritated that Jesus actually likes us. Does't he doesn't Jesus like you doesn't Jesus deeply love you didn't Jesus weave a plan for you through time and space Didn't he chart your course didn't he give you the opportunity to do amazing things with and, and through him that's 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 the part that drives Satan crazy. It doesn't bother Satan when people go to a church building and have church. That doesn't bother Satan. As long as you don't sell out to God, as long as you don't really commit, as long as you don't seek and pursue God, as long as you don't really truly petition him and praying in the Spirit and things like that, as long as you're not really going after God, he doesn't care. Go to church, sing your songs, he doesn't care. It's when the Holy Spirit begins to change you change your thinking, change your life, change your attitude, and then that begins to affect your neighbors, your friends, your family. That's, that's when it starts concerning Satan. <clears throat> I put this one in a different color because to me it's one of the more important things that I've read in the book. I'm down to, uh, a little bit farther in that paragraph. The deepest likings... And impulses of any man are the raw material, the starting point with which the enemy or Jesus has furnished him. You are created in the image of God. In the image of him mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically. You are created in the image of God. You have a starting point that is amazing if you'll pursue God. But just being created in the image of God is not enough if you're pursuing your plan. You can still do great things, but you're pursuing your plan, and the greatness is only limited to humanity and temporalness. But if you're pursuing God in the way that He created you, with His Holy Spirit as your guide, the things that you do are now eternal and transcendent. And they begin to change you, and they begin to change the people around you. It begin to make a difference there's something they're of substance that is that is bigger than this earth because that's that's that should be what we reach for all the time i know it's difficult to do that day after day after day keep your focus and god i'm gonna do amazing things but but here's my thing here's my thinking is just try to do it some and let some lead to more but to say god you created me in your image today what does what in your image look like today at work? What does in your image look like today at the grocery store? What does in your image look like today as in the family or a parent or a child? Or something? What does in your image look like? Am I being that? Am I doing that? Am I pursuing that? In your image. Very much akin to, you know, what would Jesus do kind of thing. I, I think there's a little bit of flaw to the thinking of what would Jesus do, because sometimes the, the where you're at in life and what you're going Jesus wouldn't have got to that place so there's not a context for what would Jesus do here right because Jesus would have said I I wouldn't have got there I, I wouldn't be where you are right now but but for the most part that that's the idea is God I'm creating your image so what does that look like from your perspective today right anything else about this chapter
1: I like the part about where he says he only means uh, in just a few sentences above where you're reading, he means only abandoning the clamor of self-will once they have done that. He really gives them back all the personality and boasts that when they were wholly his. I, I think it's you know a lot of times we try and be what others want us to be or what uh, we want to be like somebody else but like you were saying if we each of us are different, and we each have our own uh, personalities, skills, and talents. And we need to, as long as we focus on God and give to Him first, He and He helps us with those, and we can just be ourselves in Christ and really excel.
0: Yeah, yeah. He wants you to. He wants you to surrender yourself. You know, the uh, a man if a man tries to save his life, he'll actually lose it. But but if he gives up his life to Christ, he he gains everything. That's not the way, that's not uh, rational human thinking. Humanity pushes against that, says it can't be true. I've got to hold on. I've got to make my own way. I've got to do all this other stuff. And the Lord says, just give it up. Just let go. Seek God first in his kingdom and God will take care of everything else. That is so difficult for us so difficult. In fact, the way scripture says it is um, don't, don't try to uh, get all the stuff for yourself because that's how the ungodly do it. Don't try to take care of yourself take care of all your own needs and stuff because that's how the ungodly do it. He says seek him first and God will take care of everything. Yeah. Anything else? Comments? Thoughts? All right, how should we pray? What's God stern in your heart? Nothing, he's stirring nothing. The, one of the things that just every, all three, well, this, these three layers, but even a couple before, this kept just, it's just in my head, in my heart is I just don't want to be lukewarm. I just don't want to waste. I've got a life, and I'm going to do something with it. God, I'm I'm going to give everything I've got to you as best as I can. I'm going to give everything I've got to you. Help me do that. Right? What else?
1: Yeah. Like, you sorry, or just your time like, instead, of you, that instead of an hour it would be 5 minutes and you would realize okay stupid instead of wasting an hour you uh, so recognize
0: and uh, you know spot his like, yeah to- yeah that's that's that it demands Walking in the Spirit, praying in the Spirit regularly. Um, so that discernment will be strong. We will be strong with discernment. Um, yeah, I pray the same thing. God, help me, help me see it coming. Help me not to be blindsided by Satan. The reason I get blindsided by Satan is because my attention is on something besides the Lord. Yeah, I, pr- I pray that fairly often, actually. Help me not get caught up in a trap. I won't hold back. I love you too much, baby. All right, what else are we praying? I see the hand. Is it Roger? Yes, sir. Forgiveness. Forgiveness, how? I guess from God to God. I mean, uh, to others. Stuff you said today, at home. Yeah. Good. Good for you, Roger. Yeah, God, just forgive me. You know, this is what I started out with. He does. It's amazing how He does. It always surprises me how He forgives. It doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been, how many times, or what. He forgives. That's, that's why He died on the cross. If He wasn't going to forgive us, if He was going to hold it against us, why die? That seems kind of extreme to not fulfill the purpose. He wants to forgive us. Yeah. Okay, let's pray. God, we come to you first just just with what Roger said, Lord. Just forgive us. Jesus, just cover us with your blood. We need that so much. Just wash us clean. Fill us with your presence. Fill us with your love. Let your love explode into our existence. And Lord, I I pray that we not only that we are forgiven, but that we feel forgiven. That we feel your grace. We we sense what you're doing as you're washing us clean. And God, help us. Help us not to ever get complacent with that. But Help us to be passionate about you. Help us to be... um, not lukewarm, but hot with you, Lord God, that we are, that we are pursuing you, that we are hungry for you and your, and your word and your righteousness. And that, Lord, we just desire and need you. And help us never to get away from that, never get to the point where, where we just don't care anymore. God, help us to be passionate about you. Lord, and I, I, I also pray what Logan said, that, Lord, we want to, we want to see, help us to walk in wisdom and discernment so that we can see what Satan's trying to do. That you, I know you want to reveal it to us, Lord. I know you want our eyes to be open and to see it. God, the reason we don't is because we're taking our eyes off of you. So help us to keep our eyes on you, praying in the spirit, listening spiritually to what you're telling us so that we can see the traps that Satan lays for us and we can avoid them and stay away from them. And, our God, that we can stay away from laziness and, and routine and rote. The Lord, that we'll be passionate in pursuit of you. Help your word be living and powerful and active in our lives. And help us to pursue your word, to constantly be pursuing your word. And, now, Lord, we thank you. We are humbled and we are amazed that you just keep doing this stuff in our life. But, Lord, we... We need it, we want it, and we thank you for it. In the name of Jesus. Lord, give us an opportunity tomorrow, Friday, Saturday, give us an opportunity just to minister to somebody, to talk to them, share you with them, pray for them, do something. God, help us to stir ourselves, step out there and and let let you do something. Looking for it, recognizing it, seeing it, and then stepping out and doing it. We thank you name of jesus we pray amen all right that's it that's a wrap you don't gotta go home but you gotta get on out of here